This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. We are days away from spring training game number one for your Seattle Mariners. We're all getting excited about the upcoming season, what they're going to look like, how good are they going to be, and here to make us feel better about everything that we could possibly feel bad about is the one, the only, John Morosi with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Hello, John. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, I am curious at some point in time to get Mike's take on uh, Taylor Lewan, the former Michigan Wolverine. I'll have to uh, get his thoughts on how he feels as though he performed for the Tennessee Titans. I was not aware that Mike was such a Titans aficionado. Yeah, unfortunately. But I can tell you off air. I don't think okay, we need to waste uh, your well, time here. JP, <laughs> if you want to know the truth about Lefko, he has like 12 favorite teams. No, not that many. Okay, so <laughs> wherever he has lived, like he went to Syracuse. Not very loyal to Syracuse. No, he's uh, a Huskies fan too. Yeah, he's and he likes Purdue. He likes the Titans. The Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, he's all over the any map. Any place that he's been, that's his team. Wow, that's that's good though. I, I would say this. Part of, part of what I love about spring training is that when you step into a major league spring training clubhouse, as I did last week, I uh, got a chance to visit with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, it's it's like the first day of summer camp. You get a, a sense of, okay, where are you from? What did you do over the off season? Any new news for you and your family? I always enjoy that. It's It really is. It's a special special beginning day, and, and this is the best time of year I find to talk with people because they're almost always in a great mood. And as my mentor, the the Hall of Famer, John Lowe, has always observed to me, John, there's no such thing as a slump in spring training. (laughs) Everybody feels great. It's it's just uh, it's one of the great parts about this time of year. How how have they changed over the year? You've been doing this for quite a while now, and I'm curious, just it used to be in any sport, really, John, that guys would sort of play themselves into shape during training camp in football or spring training in baseball. They'd kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to work out the kinks and everything. And now this is, you know, obviously the money, I guess, has made it possible to just, this is year round. Have you noticed a difference in your time from when you started to how things are today and just how guys treat their career, how they, how they prepare for this time of year? Yes, I have. Uh, players report in excellent shape, and I think it's it's partially because of what they're able to do in the offseason, but it's also just a reality of, of what technology, nutrition, training has done. Uh, I think that when you speak with players now, they will almost always talk to you about uh, biomechanics or how in, in, in some ways they've optimized their diet for their body type and, and their their blood type and what they need from, a, a, from an endocrinology standpoint. Like, all of these things are incredibly specific. And I just think that we have a generation of players who have grown up with a high degree of specificity in their physical training, off-season training, mental training as well. Um, I, I had a chance to tour the Blue Jays facility. Uh, Mark Shapiro was gracious enough to, to take me around. And the amount of details that they have um, there for you in the in the clubhouse, the meal room, the training areas, the running tracks, indoor-outdoor weight rooms. Uh, and there is even, and this is something I don't think I'd ever seen before in a, 
uh, in a facility, there are beds for naps. So oh there are gosh. sleeping stations. <laughs> and, and how about this, Dave? There are also, and this is really important, there, there are breakout rooms. So when you have positional group meetings, um, th- there is a specialized, it could be a, there could be a dry erase board in there to go over what you're working on that day, uh, staff meetings. Yeah. Um, and then also, I thought it was interesting, too, there are, there are call rooms so if you want to FaceTime back home, connect with your family, um, you can do that uh, in, in privacy, which I think is really nice. Uh, and cool. then when you're in the clubhouse, you can be with your teammates. I, that to me is – and that's where I really think from a media standpoint – this is a little inside baseball, but we're, we're on the subject. I think it's kind of interesting just as an insight to the fans. When I started writing about baseball, there used to be a certain rule of when you could approach a player to speak with them. The general rule is, at least I was taught at the outset, if they're at their locker, you are and not engaged in conversation with someone else, you are allowed to approach them. You would not really approach them if they were relaxing on a couch unless you really knew them well because that's kind of their sacred space. But there was a certain protocol of when you could talk to them and when not. But if someone is, is looking at their phone and texting, are you interrupting something? Mm-hmm. Are they... Are they just scrolling through Instagram? Uh, are are they talking with their family about a really important personal matter? These are things that weren't really part of what I was told in 2004 when I walked into a clubhouse for the first time as a as a reporter. So uh, or 2003. It's just it's a very interesting change, and I've just found that the best teams, and I really believe this was true of the Mariners last year, the best teams have the most engaged clubhouses. Now we can talk about, okay, what came first, but I always am impressed when I'm in a clubhouse and I see teammates talking to each other, whether it's about the game or about life, as opposed to 25 players, 25 cell phones, 25 scrolls. I'm always impressed when I see people communicating. And I think the Mariners, uh, and this is a credit to Scott Service and Jerry DePoto and their, their on-field leadership group, and certainly they'll miss Mitch Hanniger because of how important he was as a, as a link in that clubhouse. But I think you've got Julio and the energy that he brings. Um, that, to me, is the mark of a really good team. Colton Wong, great teammate, really good conversation. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, same thing. So I think that's, that, to me, is the mark of a good clubhouse. You can almost hear a good clubhouse. And it's because you are hearing conversation among teammates and friends. It's amazing. And I'll take you back for the, maybe the first year that you started, you know, going into into clubhouses or locker rooms or whatever. But um, in 1987, I think the Seahawks had like a state of the art type of uh, up in uh, Kirkland. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, that it was sort of seen as one of the more advanced. There was no food. There was no kitchen. There was nothing. <laughs> now, I mean, you look at they have somebody that they test the players, find out what they're deficient in, and then put those, you know, whatever they are, vitamins, whatever, into a shake, and then put their name on it and bring mm. it to them and present them with it at the end of practice. I mean, it's just wow. gone so... You should do that for us here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. But and, it's, and... it's come so far, you know, and as far as, like, all of the, the science and how much more, you know, dialed in and all, obviously how much they're paying these guys, right? Exactly. This is, to, to your point, it is an investment in 
high performance. And that's that's what you hear often. Uh, there are now, and, and the Jays have one at every level, they, they have been one of the teams that have been very much on, on the cutting edge of, of performance coaching. But they have what's called a performance coach at every minor league level. And I think that is excellent. That is long overdue. Because baseball, I think even more so than other sports, because of the number of games and how far you are away from the ultimate level when you begin your pro journey, mm. that combination can be stifling to a young player mentally. If, if you imagine, and I'm sure like if you spoke with players on the Mariners who, who played major college baseball, and by that I'm talking mostly Pac-12, SEC, Big 12, depending on the school, Big 10 in some ways too, but in the SEC... Check out check out a game at Mississippi State sometime and look at what that stadium looks like and that ballpark looks like and then contrast that with what you see in the Arizona Complex League. You've gone up in level, but it doesn't feel that way at all. Mm. And I think that there are lots of players who, after being the big man on campus at a baseball school, LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn, Alabama, USC, whatever it might be, all of a sudden you're you're alone. Um, in riding a bus for, for six, seven hours in the middle of the night, you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that that's why I love that there's a development coach now at every level to help with the mental side of the game. And, and I think there are certainly players with the Mariners who, for whom that is true, that, that you think about the journey. And um, I, I think Colton Wong is a great example. I, I'll, I'll mention about what he, he went through getting picked off of first base in a big spot in a postseason game when I think he was a rookie. Then he came back and helped the, the Cardinals uh, advance and have some big playoffs after that. That's a huge moment of growth for a young player. And I think Colton, for me, one of the things that he can speak to as a, as a veteran teammate in that clubhouse now is he's been there. He's been in the World Series when he was a young player. He's made a mistake in the World Series when he was a young player. He's gotten back. Um, he's slumped. He's shined. He's been an all-star type player, gold glover. Those kinds of players are really important, and Colton is someone who I, I have always found to be someone who shares and will, will speak from his experience. And when you're talking about a team that is right on the cusp of being special the way the Mariners are, you need as many guys like Colton Wong as you can get. Ooh, I like that. Let's hope he can... They're on the cusp of being special. Yeah. They are. They yeah. are. Yeah, because that... I, I mean, again, we, we look at, I was actually talking about this with... Uh, with somebody yesterday about just looking at you know, how do you close the gap and, and what is what is the gap in a certain division? I, I, I think that the Mariners are are getting closer to being a perennial postseason team. That's what I, I'm comfortable saying. They're getting close to being at that level where you look up and people like me in our broadcast and says, yeah, we can make a plan on you're going to see a lot of Seattle in the month of October. Like that's a normal thing. But again, they've got to make up 16 games on the Astros to win the division. So where are those 16 games? Where are they? Is it is it a having a full year of Castillo? Is it now the Astros being without Verlander? And it looks like McCullers for a period of time as well with the news today that Lance is going to be out to start the season. Um, maybe. And then if you get uh, Teoscar and you add in Colton and if, if Kalnick figures it out, then you know, these are there are some ifs here, but these are not you're not asking Kelnick to hit 55 home runs. You're just asking him to be what we think he can be or something close to it. Same thing with Pollock, same thing with, with the returning core. And I think that to me is, is the huge question. Now Houston, they can get better too, because they've got some guys like Hunter Brown, who, who I believe will be able to really pitch more and pitch more effectively. Jose Urquidy as well. The bullpen is deep. 
But I also look at the Seattle and say I I'm thinking we might see based on the reports from Peoria, do we see Bryce Miller uh, at some point in time early in the season with with that electrifying arm? He's now moved into the top hundred prospects in the industry. So I'm I'm excited. I think Seattle's farm system is better than people maybe have rated it out outwardly. And I think that Miller is a really good case of someone that we could see make an impact in the first half of the season. Yeah, I sent these guys an article last night where somebody referred to it as a howitzer, his arm. I read that article, too, <laughs> by Daniel Kramer. It was very, yeah. very well done. Yeah, so the, I, I'm excited to see what he can do as well. And then you wonder, all right, so what does that mean for Marco? How attractive is he on the on the trade market? Uh, what could you possibly get a bat? I know they brought in Tommy Lastella, so all problems are solved with your offense. But uh, it would be it'd be nice to see him bring in another bat just in case Kelnick doesn't become the guy and Taylor Trammell is going to be out for a bit and maybe right. maybe Pollock doesn't bounce back. I mean, it just well, there's a lot of ifs attached to the new acquisitions. Sure. <laughs> so so it's uh, they took flyers on guys that are coming off down years as we've talked about. Yet there does seem to be a level of optimism surrounding this team. Not, I think they're going to be good. I, I'm not saying that at all. But their their off season wasn't that noteworthy outside of Teoscar Hernandez, in my opinion. And yet you you see the national voices, you hear the national voices, and there there's a surprising amount of optimism that seems relatively uh, uh, consistent in basing it on the the maturation of of. Julio and Cal Raleigh and George Kirby and the, all the young guys of last season. Right. Well, and I think it's important to point out, too, that uh, I'm just looking back at, at how last season started. Let's remember, middle of May, Julio was batting 240 with a 625 OPS around. I'm looking at it right here. May 14th. That was what he was. That's what he was doing. And then he had a then he had a four for four day at City Field and the rest is history. Um, but that was what he was doing in the middle of May. I, who knows how the season starts? I do not think that Julio is going to have a 625 OPS in the middle of May. And at that point in time, he was batting sixth and seventh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It's like we, we think back in our mind's eye that that was, that was nine months ago. That was like yesterday. And he was batting sixth and seventh and batting 240. And all of a sudden, boom, superstar. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think that it's it's amazing. And remember what happened once he took off it changed the whole team i mean at that point they were they were as i recall it i think languishing below 500 they were not at all yeah they were 15 and 18 they were they were not the team that we came to know them to be until he really got going and now that's certainly you, you hope that he avoids any sort of diminishment in in his productivity this year but um certainly there's no signs of that coming based on just the shape he's arrived in and, and everything that he's doing to prepare to play in the WBC, which, by the way, I think especially for, for position players, and we talked a bit last time about what it means for pitchers and Matt Brash going to pitch for Canada. For position players, I'm a huge believer that it gets them locked in earlier and better. And so if I'm a Mariner fan, I think it might help Eugenio Suarez to have one of his better years. And I think the same is true for Oscar, same is true for uh, for J Rod as well. I just I think that there's there's going to be a really uh, a really strong um, uh, effect of of in a positive way of playing in that tournament for a lot of these players. So uh, I just think in general, guys, I'm I'm bullish on on how good this team's going to be. I think the the Angels will be better as well. I think Texas will too. But remember, the schedule is now balanced. Now you're still going to play your division more than everybody else. But you're not going to have to face the Astros as many times as you did a year ago. And that should help the Mariners when it comes to competing with a team, let's say the second-place team in the AL Central, if that's what it comes down to. 
they're going to have a, a fairer chance as opposed to the, the the Mariner fans saying, wait a minute, the, the Guardians played the Tigers 19 times and we played the Astros 19 times. That that that's, That is going to even out a little bit now in 2023. How much better do you think the Texans are going to be? Now all of a sudden you're seeing they're kind of a threat to, to the Mariners. And what, what do you think? I, I think that they're What'd pitching – is is dramatically I said the Texans. Sorry well, but that, but they are they He's are representatives. <laughs> well, that was that's. I thought it was actually a, a really uh, clever colloquialism there in referring to them as representing <laughs> at, the state. As if we would, we could only, call we could call the Mariners the Washingtonians if you wish. We could we could call them. That JP, if you want, only but. I need you to follow me around and just correct my, my mistakes. <laughs> so what he, what he really meant so to say here was yeah, <laughs> and praise uh, the mistake at the same time. <laughs> right, that was actually a clever turn of phrase, Dave. Well, uh, so I, I, their their pitching staff is almost entirely, at least their rotation is almost entirely reimagined. Now it was with a degree of uh, concern, or maybe it looked a little ominous that that Degrom's first bullpen was was pushed back a little bit because there was a little bit of an issue. It was cold and rainy, and and did they want to risk it? That to me, still, I'm a little little wary of that just because of his injury history. What what I want to know on Texas is how many innings is DeGrom going to pitch this year? Because if he throws 160, then I then if I'm a Seattle fan, I'm a little bit nervous. Because I, I think if he throws 160, it just allows the rest of the staff to fall into place. But if we're having this conversation at the first of June and Jake is on the IL again, it's a it's a very different Situation. I, I think that it's there is a lot of potential with with Texas, but there is also a certain fragility to the entire plan. They've mm. got Nate Evaldi, who, when he's healthy, and he was last year for the most part, is really good. I, I'm a big Evaldi guy. I think he's a, he's a trusted veteran. I think he's going to be really good for them. But again, there's there is some health risk whenever you build your rotation by signing guys from the outside. There's inherent risk in that because they're often older. I would rather be, you know, it's the old question. I'd rather have the Mariners than than the Rangers right now in terms of the pitching staff, and I would. I really would. I think because you've got in, in Gilbert and Kirby, you've got that's what everybody wants. Everybody in baseball wants a Kirby or a Gilbert, and Seattle has both of them, which is which is an extraordinary asset for the organization. Hey, what do you think? It's interesting to see somebody like Aaron Judge coming off the season that he just had, sign that massive deal, and to see what a solid team guy he is, talking about switching to left field potentially. And he's his statement was essentially, whatever helps the team win, I'll do that. Right. I mean, how rare is that? I, I was trying to think of times we've seen that. Now guys have moved, and sometimes it's reluctantly, and maybe they don't say much about it. But in terms of a star at that level, I think it happened with the Yankees the last time I can remember at that level, and that's when A-Rod got there and said, I'll play third. And right. When he was actually he was a better shortstop than Jeter, but he said, oh, it's his team. I'll play third base. I can't think of another time where somebody was that willing, openly willing to say, hey, I don't care about my stature or my, my name and contract. I'll play where you want me to play. Right. It is rare, and I, I think that you look at other cases, and, and Machado was was at times willing to move positions that was part of his conversation I, I think that Manny has been at times misunderstood in terms of what a what a great teammate he is and I think Aaron is a great teammate you know I, I spent a fair amount of time around Judge and the Yankees last year and I was just really impressed by him on and off the field mm. how he carries himself uh, 
the just the graciousness he shows to people and and the way in which and you saw it when he hit 62 how happy his teammates were and the reaction that they had and and how much a player like Rizzo wanted to keep playing with him. He wanted both of them to sign this offseason and stay in New York. Um, and I think too, it's it's an acknowledgement, and it's it's a great it's a great thing to see from a star player that Aaron knows that he set the record last year. He won the MVP. He's been to the playoffs now multiple times. He just doesn't have a ring yet, and that's that's it. That's the one thing that he really wants to do and needs to do. And he's the captain of the team now. That's, that's an important um, thing to, to, to have in a Yankee uniform. You wear the C for the Yankees. That's Jeter and Mattingly and, and the greats. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the legends. Uh, DiMaggio, I mean, that's, that's, that's rarefied air in the sport. So uh, I, I think for, for him, he gets it. He understands it. I think it was a, you know, I am as pro WBC of a guy as there is. Uh, but I understand why Aaron isn't playing, and I, I think it was, for him, probably the right call. I mean, I, I again, I was around him a lot late last season, and I just think that the chase and the pressure and the focus of the world on every at-bat, every swing, and then he goes into the ALCS and they lose, and they just they didn't look like themselves in that series. I think it was just a lot, and I think he just needed some time, uh, as opposed to ramping up and being ready to play in a, in a really meaningful game on March 7th or 8th or 9th. He's he's letting himself get into the season, which I think, you know, for me, the WBC, yes, it's playing for your country. It's also growing the game. I think anybody who watched baseball last year would say, Aaron, my friend, you've done your part. <laughs> like you've you've grown the game in a pretty dramatic way. And and, and you you owe no greater obligation to the uh, to the collective. How about you can just, you know, enjoy a spring training without the focus of a contract. Just get yourself ready. And to your point, Dave. Maybe learn a new position. If he's playing left, you know, I, I once talked to Reed Johnson, longtime outfitter, who said that left field, in his opinion, was the hardest of the three to play because he said the number of right-handed power bats who can really, really hit the ball with authority to the pull side, and often they can hook it too, so you've got a ball with a lot of topspin at you that's also hit 100 miles an hour, and that is not fun. So I, I think that that to Aaron's uh, to Reed's point, uh, Aaron is now taking on one of the harder tasks in baseball, and I think it's uh, it's mm. good on him for for staying in camp and and really uh, getting adjusted to what that role is going to look like. John, as always, fantastic stuff. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and we will uh, we'll do it again next week. Sounds great, guys. By the time we speak next week, we will have actual Mariner games to yes. discuss. For the Beautiful. first time since early October. I can't wait. The Kraken trade deadline, good stuff there as well. So uh, looking forward to it. Have a wonderful weekend there in the, in the beautiful city of Seattle. We appreciate you, John. Thanks, JP. All the best, guys. Thanks. There you go. There's John Morosi with us every single week. He's our MLB and NHL insider. Love talking with that guy. And if you missed any of that or you tuned in in the middle of it, make sure you do yourself a favor and head to seattlesports.com and find it on the podcast page there after the show each and every day. Just click the podcast tab and click on our picture and then make Wyman and Lefko really, really happy by clicking subscribe because then you don't have to ever do anything again. It just shows up. You you could have got me there, Bob, because I was just were you zoning? daydreaming. Oh, yeah. see, I thought you were trying to fake me by acting like you were zoning, but you were actually zoning. Yeah, no, that's what I was doing. You're yeah. right. <laughs> All right, coming up, he could be the breakout star of spring training. We're going to get into that next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.
Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We'd make it special for him, Dave. We'd make it special for him. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't mind saying we try to get Boz on at some yeah. point, Brian Bosworth, for some people that are were alive then. The normal one remember. or the British one? Well, that's what we talked uh, to him about. All right, that's enough out of you, Lefko. <laughs> <laughs> the British accent. I don't know what happened there. Uh, I misremembered. How about it's that? It's beautiful. It's beautiful that it's not that, though. That's even better. It'd be, it wouldn't have been nearly as fun if you said, see, Here's the movie. We, we all saw it. an imposter. <laughs> There's Boz. Yeah, so I was sort of on the same track. Like, he did dress up as a guy that looked like him. He did play both parts, okay? <laughs> that part was accurate. Now, nobody had a British accent, and they weren't twin brothers. I, th- I th- they looked a lot alike. I think he would get a huge laugh out of your thought that, dude, I was certain you were playing twins that you didn't know you had a twin brother and one of you were from England. Yeah. I think he would probably crack up at that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how he'd take <laughs> See, that. But. I bought that movie. Can you come on our show? Yeah, I bought it just to prove I was <laughs> right. Go. The operative, it's called. <laughs> okay. Well, I like that Lefko was trying to talk me out of buying it. He's like, dude, just rent it. And I'm like, it's like three times as much to buy it and renting it was $2. So <laughs> I, was like, I spend that money. Have you watched it again, though? I've watched it once. Okay. Will you watch it again? Yeah, because uh, <laughs> Shannon actually wanted to watch it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right, good. It paid off. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. It might be one that we might want to take something or drink something yeah. before we watch it. <laughs> Let's alter our senses. Make it uh, make it fun. But yeah. No, yeah. I, we've been trying to do this every Friday. Um, what'd you call it, Mike? The alumni series yeah. or something, mm-hmm. Seahawk alumni series where yeah. we got uh, we got Joe Nash, Jacob Green, didn't do it last week. Kelly Stoffer, yeah, we got. Well, Kelly Stoffer wasn't. That was a different day. Wasn't that part of it, or was yes. that a separate? It was. Was it a Friday? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, it took up the whole thing. And then we had Dave yeah. Craig on, right? Dave Craig, uh, Joe Nash, Jacob Green. Who else? I feel like we're missing somebody. I don't know, but we're gonna get Kurt Warner. Uh, Kurt with a C. Yeah. And then, you know, we can uh, kind of go from there. I'd like Try to, to get, get Boz. I think Boz would be great. Yeah. I'd love to talk about those commercials he's doing. He does a great job in those. And Oh, they're hilarious. And just some of the things that we used to do yeah. and, and have fun. I remember him and I dined and ditched Moyer one time. <laughs> you left Moyer with the bill? <laughs> yeah. We were down in L.A. and, uh, you know, and, and Boz is like, come on, let's, let's ditch out him. So we go, you know, both get up at different times, and then we go – at the same time, right up to the window where Moyer is, and we both knock on it and just wave, and he just looks like, oh, you got me. <laughs> That's awesome. See, yeah. we, we could relive right, those days. Yeah. We'll bring him on to talk about that. Hopefully, he's he, he'd be up for it if he's not busy filming something. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, we were talking working about- Working on his English accent. That's right. He's, he's working with his dialect coach right now, working on that accent for, for the sequel to that movie. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about a potential star of, of the spring- for the Mariners. Potential. And it's a name that's been brought up more and more and more frequently, whether we're talking to Jerry DePoto, whether we're talking to John Morosi, whether we're talking to Joe Doyle. And the name is Bryce Miller, who has entered the top 100 prospects. He's one of the top prospects in the Mariners organization now. And I sent you guys that that article where uh, Daniel Kramer wrote the article, said he was talking to a scout, and he had quotes from the scout saying it was like he had a howitzer. 
for an arm. So. You ever look up a howitzer? No, but it just sounds big and powerful. It's one of those big cannons that's on wheels that okay. just, yeah, fires a single shot, a yeah. shell, big old shell. I mean, this... It's meant to do damage. Yes, it is. Yeah. So here's... Uh, just just to refresh everybody's memory, I know they hear every word we say and everybody we speak to, but in case you forgot this, we spoke with Joe Doyle uh, a bit ago, and uh, this is him just talking about where Bryce Miller ranks as a starter on this Mariners roster. I think Bryce Miller is probably the fifth best starter in this organization right now. Mm. Personally, he's he's the number one prospect for me in the organization, and some of that does have to do with his proximity to his debut and his ability to get batters out at the A level. But Bryce Miller, he's already got something that is at least elite adjacent in terms of the fastball. It is a really explosive fastball that is going to be pretty tough to hit at the top of the zone. The slider has taken major strides. He's added, uh, he's added more sweep to it this offseason. And the changeup is going to be a weapon or at least an asset against left-handed pitching. Uh, the, elite now I, adjacent. Now I remember the interview because of that phrase. Yeah, that's awesome. Elite adjacent. Ne- it's right next to. Yeah, and, and he hasn't spent a moment with the with, in the major leagues, yet he's already calling him their fifth best pitcher in the organization. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a lot of superlatives being thrown out there right now. I mean, we heard about uh, the best pitch in Major League Baseball history. <laughs> right now, right. we're talking about elite adjacent, but yeah, I mean, he looks good. But you know, you you think about the batters that he's facing, but certainly, you know, there on the, on the, uh, the article that, uh, that you sent, there's a little video of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He looks good. He looks like he keeps batters off balance and, you know, he's got the howitzer. I mean, looks great, but <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden he's the fifth guy in your rotation. Maybe I mean, we'll see. I mean, I hope they're right. We, but, t- we talked to Jerry. Jerry's brought him up a number of times. This is yeah. from early January, talking about Bryce Miller perhaps being the guy to watch in spring training. You know, I th- the guy coming into spring training that I think is going to light people up is Bryce Miller. And it, he had a terrific year at multiple levels of our minor league system last year. So we drafted him a couple of years ago out of Texas A&M. We thought going into his draft year, he would be you know a, a first-round draft had a great start to his season and then faded a little bit. And, you know, as a result, we were fortunate enough to get him in the middle rounds. And he went out last year and dominated at multiple levels, was among the top 10 in minor league baseball and strikeouts. He throws, he'll regularly exceed 100 miles an hour with his fastball, has a dominant slider, is that kind of lean, wiry, strong, physical pitcher that, that catches your attention. When, when you're in this kind of camp setting. And much like Matt Brass a year ago or George Kirby the year before that, I think this year Bryce is the guy that's going to catch a lot of attention in spring training because it's just physical stuff that shows up on day one. Hmm. I'm excited to see him against big league hitters. What, is it, what does it look like? Is, he, is yeah. he just going to be, is this going to be a succession of, of just young arms that aren't phased by big league hitters? Uh, here comes Logan. Here comes George Kirby. Here's Brash. Uh, and now... Miller? Yeah. He's got a nice flowing mullet, Bob. You like that? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's so many things to watch this year. Uh, like, what's going to be the biggest surprise? I mean, we didn't. We didn't think that much. The thing about I remember going into last year was we, we thought about Julio Rodriguez as being a really great guy and, you know, a great prospect, everything. Killed it at double A. I remember Jen Mueller was always up at double A, Everett, watching uh, watching him and, you know, giving us the, the latest update. But he wasn't really like what we were thinking about. We were thinking about Jared Kelnick. 
yeah. you know, a couple years ago. And so, yeah, there's who's going to be that guy that's going to step up. That's the part that's really exciting to me. And I think, you know, that's that's what you do. I mean, you build up your farm system the way that they had, and they were like dead last in most ranks as far as their, their farm system When goes. Jerry got here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then, the cupboards were bare. Yeah, exactly. So now you see all these young guys, and to me, I'm I'm more excited about that. That that was interesting. What um, what JP just told us about, you know, as far as signing uh, players, uh, free agent signings, it, it equals older guys who you know are going to have injuries a little mm-hmm. bit more than the younger guys. So that's what I, I think is you know, I mean, you can't substitute the experience that these older older guys have but it sure is nice to have these uh these young guys and just kind of watch them go through their journey and yeah you know you'll be talking about maybe we're talking about bryce miller five years from now about you know how he's the greatest prospect that they've had in forever that'd be fun wouldn't it <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun i wouldn't mind that at all so well, yeah he's definitely somebody i think a lot of mariner fans are going to be keeping an eye and an ear on for games you can't see during spring some of which will just be right here seattle sports on 710 so this is you're in the right spot you don't need to go anywhere all right coming up it is wednesday so it's time for what if wednesday the hypothetical that we play every week what if the seahawks hadn't slipped to the fifth pick We'll take a look at how this offseason could be just a bit different in that scenario. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. What? 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 It's time for What If Wednesday. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. Wyman and Bob rewrite the scripts of major moves and moments in sports every Wednesday afternoon. Now step into an alternative reality with Wyman and Bob. We do it every single Wednesday here with Wyman and Bob. Throw out the hypothetical. What if? What if this happened? It's presented by Mazda of Everett. So, Dave, what if the Cardinals had won their season finale? The Seahawks finished with the fourth overall pick instead of the fifth. Now, we just heard, you know, about them. Maybe, you know, we played that clip earlier. Who was it? Uh, Mike Miller? Matt, Matt, Miller? Matt Miller. Talking about, well, here's, they need to keep the phone. You know, keep that phone right there and take calls and, potentially trade back in the in this scenario. Don't trade out of the top ten, but maybe they trade back to seven, eight, nine, what what have you. Uh would that change at all? Would your opinion change at all if they were one pick higher and maybe they were in a in a spot where the team in front of you wouldn't be looking at Jalen Carter and it might be all quarterbacks potentially? Yeah, I that one would have been much that that kind of hurt that that they slipped down to to five from four because I feel like, you know, the top three, especially if you know, we see this all the time where there's like a feeding frenzy. Well, oh, man, that quarterback's gone. Well, then, you know, we we better jump in and get one. Like I said, there's a, this urgency. What did I use? Panic um, or whatever from teams that are trying to get a quarterback. I'm trying to remember the word I used. But anyway, it was only like three hours ago. But, you know, it's <laughs> that's an eternity. You're creating Dave. like an urgency for uh, these these quarterbacks, uh, teams that really won't need a quarterback, and the Seahawks really don't. I mean, I feel like that they're going to be able to get the further along we go, the more I feel like Geno is going to end up signing here. We've hear, heard it from almost everyone, so now you can start to work on, you know, really the priority is the interior of your defensive line. That's that's the priority, and, 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 and as KJ of, said, interior of your O line could. Use some attention. Oh yeah, I don't. You know, I haven't seen. I'm trying to remember even like the the best guard or center. Is there even a guard or center in the? You know, it depends on whatever mock draft list you look at. But 
But, yeah, as far as that goes, there's going to be um, – but there's a ton of defensive ends. I feel like the edge players – you know, and it was interesting. I was going to ask KJ because we had so much to ask him. You know, he was talking about Boye Mafe, or and uh, no, he was talking about uh, Daryl Taylor. And he's like, "Yeah, I really like the out uh, with Uchenna and Daryl Taylor." I wanted to say, even against the run, and even in <laughs> dropping into pass coverage, you know. But he was talking about his his pass rush skills are are really good. I mean, I think they can be elite. They're uh, adjacent to elite, Bob. Elite, elite adjacent. adjacent. That's right. Yeah, but um, so yeah, there's DNs, but those D tackles, and it's funny that that's a that's a position that I th- I feel like has become more important. You know, the the more uh, and maybe it's just this year because you're you're looking at uh, what Philadelphia was able to do with their front and how every single guy on their line got double digit sacks, in, including a linebacker that wasn't really that good that came in and got sixteen. Uh, sacks. So, I mean, I, I feel like that's uh, a big focus and that they're pretty rare and that you get a guy like that, you can really control your defense. I mean, can can be dominant because, like I said, that's the closest path to the quarterback. If you can collapse a pocket from the inside, that's there's nowhere for that quarterback to step up. So Jalen Carter all of a sudden becomes... You know, maybe maybe he's the the first pick in the draft. I don't know. I'm not we're, sure what's gonna what's gonna happen there. Where are you at with Will Anderson? We haven't talked about him very much, and and maybe it's because we don't. Nobody thinks he'll be there. It's always Tyree Wilson. See, if yeah. we're if we're going with the most popular pick, if you go through all the mock drafts, and again, it's it's people's opinion and looking at needs, and here's who they would take or should take. We'll see what they do. But the name most attached to the Seahawks has been Tyree Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, but, but Anderson is just a name we haven't really brought up that much. Have you had a chance yeah. to see? Yeah, I looked at him. I mean, he looks a little on the you know slight side, a little bit undersized, but he's really fast. I don't, I don't know that they. I, I feel like him, Tyree Wilson, and who's the other guy? The guy from Clemson, Miles Murphy, is the guy that I like the most. A lot of people have him going around seven or eight, but. Um, you know, I think though any of those guys can can really get it done, but it might be one of one or two of these that the Seahawks we find out after the draft that they're like, yeah, he had medical problems, or you know, he was this or that. You know, there's always these reasons why they wouldn't take, and just because you know we fall in love with these mock draft um, lists, but you know, there's going to be somebody in the top ten that doesn't get picked till late in the first round, at least one, mm-hmm. maybe two. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think of how much of a difference just that one that one spot. Yeah, that one spot, four to five. It just it could be a world of difference. Now, you know who knows how the the teams in front of you are going to shake out. Like we talked about, I am I am hoping and and praying that every one of these quarterbacks at their pro day just lights it up. I want to hear on the NFL Network or on NFL Live on ESPN, whatever you're watching, all of the analysts, all of the reporters there on the scene talking about, oh, it's it's unlike any workout I've seen. I've, this guy's thrown from his knees, Dave, 60 yards in the air. You oh, know, yeah. Kyle Bowler. Uh, but I was going to say Aaron Rodgers. That was Kyle Bowler, also Kyle a Bowler cow did guy. It. Yeah. Kyle, did, right. did Rodgers do the throw from the knees? I thought he did, but maybe I'm confusing him because they both were at Cal. I just pictured him at the 50-yard line at Cal Stadium there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that with Bowler, and maybe Jamarcus Russell did it too. I can't remember. There's been a few guys who are throwing it from his knees this far. I'm like, well, that's great, but how often does that happen in a game? (laughs) You better Um, not have to be thrown. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You want to protect your quarterback. 
It's uh, but I I want every one of these guys to crush their their pro day, and this is also assuming that the Seahawks have no interest in any of them. Yeah, that that every team is going to be clamoring. They're going to feel that different level of urgency to make a move to get one of these guys because they're going to feel like, how often does a guy like this come along? You know, this guy is is our answer. This guy is is going to save this team on some levels. So this is the new Patrick Mahomes, or this is the new Joe Burrow, whatever they think. I hope that's exactly what we get, that every one of them is over-the-top praise for every one of these workouts. Where was it that we were hearing that uh, Fields in Chicago was, there was a lot of people that thought he's going to get traded? It's been in different articles and stuff. I mean, it's it's people speculating about, you know, they they may like one of these other quarterbacks and they can get some draft capital or, you know, trading him. I, I don't think that happens, but... I hope so, though. I mean, it, you know, if they you really does get traded, yeah, because then you know they're the number one pick and they're going to want to go in with a quarterback. Yeah. You know, whether it's you know, I would I would love to, nothing more than to see. And actually, there there's another name that I saw recently. Oh, Anthony Richardson. That's the guy from uh, the quarterback from Florida that some people think is as good as you know anybody else in this draft. But you got Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and then Anthony Richardson. So. Uh, how how much would you love that if it went one two three four right there and then Jalen Carter sitting there and then you know what happens uh, the Seahawks don't end up taking him anyway <laughs> and then and then there's or, or they trade rat back or something like that but no hopefully there's something that goes on there that will create some urgency so that someone has to move up and the Seahawks are able to you know not have to worry about the quarterback position and move back a little bit, get the guy they want, and maybe another second and third rounder. Yeah, it, it's depending on you know how far back they go, who's going to move up, who's got that sense of urgency. You can clean up. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time with the 49ers trading up for Trey Lance and two number ones and a number two. That's what it was, right? Two ones and a two wow. to move up to take a guy they're not even certain is going to be their guy. He might just be the most... Healthy at the time of uh, training camp this year. By the way, I'm looking at Cyrus Osiris Torrance from Florida is the first, and he's on Ryan Wilson's mock draft list. He has him going at number 13. He's an interior offensive lineman. So, I mean, that's... uh, Say his name again. uh, Osiris Torrance. That's just a great football name. I like that name. Osiris. Yeah. I like it. That's good stuff right there. But as far as, you know top five or ten there's not a lot of interior offensive linemen you know centers and guards but there are a lot of edge rushers yeah it's they've got an opportunity to really help themselves in this draft whether they make a trade and accumulate even more picks but having four picks in the top what was it 53 i think we said top 53 yes they can do some damage they can fill some holes and and i won't hold them to last year's standards because i think that's kind of an anomaly. I know the Chiefs had some huge contributions from their draft class this year, but it just to have it work out like that, if they can get half of what they got last year in terms of production out of this draft class, they're going to be sitting in a really nice spot. I think sure. last year was just crazy. It was just it was crazy. It worked out incredibly well. I don't expect it, but I will certainly appreciate it if it does happen again. All right, coming up, we'll catch up with one of our all-time favorites, K.J. Wright, joining us next year with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.